What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today, as always, is my co-host, Curtis. And today we're going to be, for most of the show, we're going to be recapping week three of spring practice, although there wasn't necessarily a ton of news coming out of practice this week. We did have a a post-practice press conference, I guess a post-scrimmage press conference on Saturday with Coach Smart. So we'll be kind of looking at what he had to say there and looking at a couple other tidbits of information that we were able to get throughout the week. We'll also bring back our give and take segment that we started last week. Just talking a couple things, a little bit off topic, but um, we had a couple of you guys ask for that, and uh, we gave it a shot last week. Got some good positive feedback there, so we'll give it another shot today. There's also a little bit of news on the basketball front today as it relates to the assistant coach position there, or at least one of the assistant coach positions. So we'll get into that here momentarily, talking about Jonas Hayes. But first, do want to make sure that everyone knows you can find us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. We'd love to hear your thoughts on everything going down right now. Still a lot of stuff going on with Georgia Athletics, got the spring seasons, baseball, tennis, softball uh, still going on. You also have the gymnastics team. actually just qualified for the NCAA championships, trying to get a spot in that Super 6 down at the end. That'd be awesome. So a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, spring practice is going on. So let us know what you're thinking about all these things. Love to hear from you guys. want to make sure everyone also knows you can find us on a variety of podcasting platforms out there. Uh, the big ones, iTunes and SoundCloud, of course. You can find us on DogSportsRadio.com or download the DogSports Radio app straight to your smartphone as well. Uh, and if you, or if you prefer the Stitcher and TuneIn apps, you can also find the show on those platforms. And if you get a chance, it'd be awesome if you guys could just take a second or two out of your day and rate and review the show on whatever your preferred platform is. That would definitely help us as we continue to try to kind of spread our wings here and grow the show. So if you like the show, that would definitely help us out. We'd sincerely appreciate it. But all right, Kurt, let's go ahead, man, and let's start talking about some football here for a few minutes. We're going to start on football and uh, go as long as we need to here, and then we'll get into a few other things towards the end of the show. Uh, one thing I do want to start with here is, uh, or at least some of the comments that Kirby Smart made during his post-practice press conference on Saturday. And a lot of things he had to say kind of echoed what we've been talking about throughout the first couple of weeks of spring practice in terms of the, uh, the secondary, the defensive line still being significant areas of concern for Coach Smart. Uh, and during the opening statement, he made a comment about our defense. And this is what he had to say. He said, quote, on defense, we are struggling to be physical and stout enough. Kurt, does that kind of comment concern you at all at this point since we're only in the middle, like, the, I guess week three of spring practice? Does that concern you about where this team is going to be when the season rolls around? Because we have a lot of young faces that are going to be trying to make their name here early this season. I mean, you could say it's concerning, but at the same time, I feel like Kirby is one of these people, you don't really see him put a lot of positive news in the media when he's doing these press conferences. Most of it, more than anything, if you look, is him more or less trying to challenge his players and sending, you know, sending subtle messages to them. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, this is spring practice. This was fall practice, and, you know, it's fall practice scrimmage one or two, and we were getting ready to go into season. I'd probably be more worried. But um, I feel like this team has a long way to go with the staff, especially once we get all everyone else here um, at the end, of, at the beginning of June and everything. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is I think he's just trying to challenge people there. I definitely agree. I, I mean, this is nothing new. Isn't this essentially what we were hearing last year, this time last year coming out of spring camp about the defense? Yeah, and that's exactly what I want to say. I want to say like last year our offense and defense both were getting really challenged by him in the spring. And, I mean, look, I mean our offense put up pretty good numbers and our defense was top ten. So, I mean, I, I mean, I think a lot of it is coach speak. You don't go out there – 
<laughs> praise your guys uh, because you don't want them to get complacent, especially right now in spring. I mean, spring right now is the biggest time for competition because nothing is set in stone right now. I mean, this time last year, Kirby was beside himself, just ri- I mean, literally ripping the defense and talking every every time he got from the media. He was talking about how the offense was just whipping their tails. Day in and day out, scrimmage in, scrimmage out. The defense just couldn't hold up. And then we saw what kind of defense it turned out to be. Uh, so it's hard to tell. Like, Is it truly coach speak? Uh, or is it a scenario where the defense really isn't as good as I it mean, needs to be? They, they probably aren't playing up to his expectations. But like we said, I mean, that rarely happens in the spring. I mean, if you watch any spring game, no defense is as crisp as they should. No offense is as crisp as they should. Sure. So I think he's still out there trying to challenge his Especially players. Especially when you're like trying this. to replace so many key players from, from last year. Even though we have a lot of talent to replace them with. You're still trying to find who fits where. We have a, when you get some injuries in the spring, it's usually is, is when the depth issues start to hurt you. And you hear Kirby mention that a lot. The depth issues are, are a problem right now on the defensive side of the ball. But that, when you had the reinforcements coming, as you mentioned a second ago, come in this summer, the, the, the 2018 class, that all of a sudden clear up a lot of the depth issues. But there are some issues right now. And I, I honestly, well, I, I think it's... Even then, and some of these issues, I think, like, I mean, you look at the DBs, all right, you have more, like, you know, good idea that LeCount Reed will be your safeties and things like that. But he's also out there trying to challenge people behind him because he openly said, you know, some of these backups, he felt like he was getting angry because they haven't, you know, been in the playbook as hard as they should have. And I think, I think he's also trying to challenge some of these backup guys saying, hey, you know... You're a you play away it, from being the be guy. Yeah, you're the you're a play away from being the guy back there. When he mentions the depth issues, I think that's what he means. I, I, we we have pretty good guys. Actually, I would go. That's that's not that's not accurate. We have really good talent on the front lines, right? Our starting eleven. Those are some seriously talented guys who, and most of those guys are ready to play some serious downs for us. Richard LeCount, I think, is going to be ready. I think he's still got to learn a little bit in terms of you know, getting his head in the playbook a little bit more and playing a little more discipline, at least from what we can tell, uh, without actually seeing him play, whatever that's worth. Uh, but I think our our top eleven are pretty solid, right? I, I think yeah, it's no I think that. it's the the like you said the guys behind them because what if one of those guys could look at this? You have to assume that's going to happen at some point. Somebody's getting hurt. A starter is going to go down. You hope it's not for the whole season, but you're going to have to have guys behind him ready to play. And I think that's scaring Kirby to death right now. And look, I, I honestly, I, I think there's a lot of this that probably is some coach speak where he is trying to motivate players. I think you're right there and you're trying to challenge them. But I also think a lot of it is Kirby just being flat out honest. Our guys probably are not completely ready right now. If we had to play a game this weekend, we probably wouldn't have enough depth, enough quality depth that's ready to play. But the good thing is we're halfway through spring practice. We still have all of, of summer camp to go. Uh, plenty of time to get some guys in there, even more bodies to challenge guys and to push guys to get this defense ready. And I think last year, I think this time last year when Kirby was was freaking out about the, the performance of the defense during spring, I think what he was telling us what he saw. I think certainly he was trying to challenge people, but I think he was just being honest, like we're just not where we need to be. And we probably weren't that time, but we have the coaches and the players that I think I trust that are going to be there, are going to be at the level that we need to be at by the time the season rolls around. At least I hope. We'll see, but... I'm trying not to get too concerned about it, but you keep hearing the same things over and over again. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I think, like I said, you never really hear good news and, at this time of the year, and I think that's because no one's playing up to the expectations of what these coaches want because I think that what they they try to set out and set the idea also that um, everyone can play at a higher level. I mean, that's been his, his whole memo, you know, his whole ma- uh, mantra type thing that he said since we got to, uh, since, you know, after we lost the national championship game, you know, is this is a new team. We, you know, we have things that we can do. There's always places, ways to get better. 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And he, there's another quote, and I say this for later, but you were t- you mentioned this earlier, so I was kind of bringing it in here. He was talking about some of the guys in the secondary, in particular. Uh, and he said, look, quote, some of these guys at that position I don't think are challenging themselves mentally to learn the playbook, and it's their time. They've got to step up, or they'll be replaced by the people coming in. Is that what you're talking about, Kirby, challenging guys? Yeah, I mean, I, and to me, in my opinion, I think he's speaking more to these backups. You know, like we said, the ones no that are, you know, one play away from playing. Uh, the Latavius Brinies, those kind of guys, Trey Bishops. Yeah, the- the bishops, maybe. I mean, you know, no, we don't know anyone in particular that's maybe not studying the most. But at the same time, there's people, up, you know, the back. I think he's speaking to them because, they're, like I said, they're the ones that are one play away, and they're probably thinking, all right, well, you know, I'm not playing right now. I shouldn't be, you know, studying as hard as everyone else. You know, like they when, have yeah. When you don't see the immediate dividends right away, it's hard to kind of. I mean, it can be hard to motivate yourself. If Especially you, if you're an upperclassman like a Jarvis Wilson and people like that sure. I mean, that haven't yet cracked the lineup, and you have the younger guys already ahead of you right now. Absolutely. It's like, why, why should I create the play? Why should I waste so much time? I shouldn't say waste but so much time, but spend so much time putting in the time, the effort to learn this playbook inside and out when chances are I'm not going to get that much playing time. Like, I understand where they're coming from, but that's like, you got to have it. And I think it's part of the culture. You know, some of these guys are really young and Kirby's trying to bring them along and help them understand that that's not what we do here. Your job is to be ready if you're called on. And you have to assume that every game you're going to be called on. You, I mean, look, as fans, we hope that never happens, but. Chances are something like that's going to happen at some point. Maybe a guy needs a breather, whatever it is. Like, what if one of those guys is the second? What if Richard LeCount, who's a headhunter, what if he gets thrown out for targeting in one game? You got to have somebody in there to fill his shoes. You got to have it. And right now, I think Kirby, uh, it seems to, based on his comments, that's all we have to go on right now because we haven't had a chance to see it until G Day. But based on what he said, like, it, there seems to be some legitimate concern about whether those guys in the two and three spots are ready for action. And I, I think. I'm, I'm going to go with it. I think there's, there's probably some legitimate concern there because those guys just haven't really seen much of it, and they're still really young. Um, now, and he, he did mention specifically, talking, uh, we're talking about the defensive struggles, he still did harp specifically on the secondary. He said, quote, we're a long way away in the secondary. So kind of the same question here, Curtis. Like, this is, like, he's made these comments essentially every time he's gotten in front of Mike this spring. Are you getting to the point where you're, because, I mean, based on what Kirby's saying, there doesn't seem to be a ton of progress there. Are you getting concerned that we're not going to be able to feel the type of secondary that we're going to need to really contend for a national title again this year? Not at all. I think the biggest thing is, is like, you know, we talk about in the spring, you know, you have a lot of plugging people in at different positions just trying to cross-train them because this is the time of the year that you cross-train them. That probably communication is not um, at the top of its level right now because you have people bouncing into in and out of different positions and learning some different, you know, communication and different things that they have to do at each different position. So it's probably not to the level that it, 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 that is needed to have a successful defense to get that far. But I think once you get into fall camp, you have people kind of plugged into where they're going to play going forward, then it's, a, it's easier for them to settle into the position to get comfortable and, and communicate. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, communication is a big part of this. And again, especially because some of these guys are so young. It's it's And Kirby mentioned this. It wasn't this past weekend, but the weekend before. He's like, you know what? I don't know if these guys. You talk about he actually singled out Brini and Trey Bishop in particular. Two two of the guys were counting on to be really key depth pieces in the, at the safety position, and he he called called them out. I mean, I, he it's exactly what he called them out. He challenged them, and, but he also said, "Look, I, I don't know if I'm expecting too much right now. Should these guys really be ready?" So I don't know. They're, they're still young, and he's right. Like they're still really young, and I don't know the answer. Like how, how much should be expected of these guys? And one comment he did make this past weekend after his, after the, the scrimmage was. You know, it'd be different if these guys were on the scout team all last year and weren't getting any reps, like any actual reps in practice. 
But that's not the case. Like Brini, uh, Bishop, these guys, according to Kirby at least, were getting legitimate reps. Not as many as the starters, obviously, but they were getting reps last year working with the ones and the twos at times during practice. And so by virtue of that, like when you when you're coaching you because hey, time is precious. You don't get twenty hours a week with these guys during during the during the season. So when you're dedicating that amount of time to these guys to get ready and giving them reps like that you kind of expect them to be a little further along. So I, I, I think there's a little bit of frustration there on Kirby's part. And look, secondary is his thing. He's been coaching that for a long time. Uh, so I, I do think he's a little bit frustrated, but I... I yeah, the secondary is the one spot that you, in the last couple of years since he's been here that he always harps on in the uh, oh, sure. in, in the media. I mean, he'll get after D-line and stuff like that, but more than anything, he usually harps on the uh, defensive backfield. Oh, absolutely. And I, like, if you're looking at the coaching aspect of this, Typically, like for me looking at this team, I know it's only been like this is year three of the Kirby Smart era, but that's still probably the one position on defense that I get the least concerned about. And it's not even a talent thing. It's just from a coaching perspective. So we essentially have two DB coaches. We have Mel Tucker, who's like, he's the DB coach. You know, that's he's the defense coordinator slash defense back coach. So that's his title. But then you have Kirby, who is, is, he's, is he not a de facto defense back coach himself back there? Uh, more or less, yeah. I mean, I mean it, like he, you said, he, when he's hands on, a lot of times they'll have they'll say like from the he's working the secondary, yeah, yeah. That he'll have some secondary group, and then Tucker will have another. They'll split the safeties group. and corners and that kind of thing. And when you essentially have a head coach acting as almost like a position coach out there working the secondary at times, that that's very valuable, especially when it's a guy the caliber of Kirby Smart, that kind of demons of mine, and that background coaching DBs. So. From that perspective, I feel confident that they'll be able to get those guys to that point. It's just a, it's just a matter of the dudes have to do their job, right? Yeah, it's a lot of the growth. I think right now, especially since we don't have the experience we had last year, I think right now we're just going through the growing pains. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That, that, that's exactly right. It's just it's growing yeah, I mean, pains right now. Especially some of these kids like Richard LeCount, you know, he played some last year as a uh, freshman. The thing was he was never relied on, or even JRE, neither of them were relied on to be the de facto, you know, the leader back leader there. That, that secondary. So, I mean, even though they've got reps, I mean, Reed got a lot of PT. I mean, they still didn't have some PT at doing certain things, and I think they, even them, they have to grow into what they're doing differently. And look at the youth back there. I mean, look, we've got Mark Webb. Uh, is a guy that you and I had kind of seen as a guy that to, to really watch out for, and Kirby kind of confirmed that. He was asked a question at the uh, at the press conference, and the, the question was, is Mark Webb a guy that you are counting on to be more of a contributor this year? And Kirby said, quote, yeah, I am. Uh, but then, so, and, and he's he's a guy coming into his second year, and then he also, and Webb's in a stiff competition with Tyreek McGee, Eric Stokes, and Amir Speed. McGee is going to be entering his junior year, but Stokes and Amir Speed are young guys who really see no playing time. Then you got Breeny back there. You got Trey Bishop who's essentially seen no playing time. The only guys that really seen any playing time that are actually going to be getting some snaps for us this year are obviously Dondre Baker is a veteran for us back there. He's got a year and a half of starting experience. Uh, then you got Tyreek McGee who played a good amount last year, and of course J.R. Reed was the starter all year at safety. Outside of that, I guess you could say Jarvis Wilson, but I mean the dude's a senior and has done nothing. I mean he's just. He's kind of a body out there, I guess, at this point. But outside of those guys, we have a ton of young guys that we're going to be relying on. Throw in D'Angelo Gibbs, too. I mean, Kirby said hopefully it seems like he's he's on track to be back uh, when summer rolls around and get, get enrolled in school. you got guys uh, coming in from, from this 2018 class that are going to be big parts of the competition as well. So we have a lot of young guys, and that also goes into just the inexperience and just kind of like you mentioned, the growing pains. There's no doubt. Uh, all right, let's move on a little bit here. And let's move away from the defense side of the ball, and let's flip over and talk about the offensive line for a second. Now, you and I uh, had singled out last week that, or at least we had heard, 
and we highlighted the, the fact that Trey Hill, early enrollee true freshman, was getting some reps with the ones at times at left guard last week in place of Kendall Baker. And lo and behold, this week we get uh, some new news out, out of, out of camp that it's Solomon Kinley who's now getting some reps with the one offense. Not at right guard where he played at least uh, more than half the season as a starter last year, but moving over to the left side and filling out left guard in place of Kendall Baker. And so there was obviously some conversation about that. Made a little bit of, of news throughout last week. Different sites were reporting that. And Kirby was kind of asked about that. And here is his response in his press conference. He said, quote, The move there that everybody's trying to make a big deal about we're getting another tackle ready. So we are taking Kendall Baker and allowing him to work at a secondary position. So essentially what Kirby was saying there was that, look, we're putting Kinley in there at left guard because we have to have a left guard in there when we're trying to move Baker out to left and right tackle to give an opportunity to play there and so we can kind of figure out who's our best backup. Does, does Kendall fit better as, as a tackle? Does he fit better uh, as our as a number two left tackle? Like Just kind of mixing and matching, figuring out where pieces fit in certain situations. So, Kurt, are you buying that, or is that Kirby just kind of stalling and not wanting to kind of spill the beans on what's going on with the offensive line because it's still a work in progress? I think it's him stalling because the fact of the matter is Kendall Baker was a tackle for three years and did nothing. Yeah, was it two years ago he came into spring practice and he was working, he was a starting left tackle and ended up losing that position? I think yeah, it was Catalina I mean, who came in and took that job. I mean, he was terrible in spring games. So, I mean, that's the thing. If, it, if he was actually, you know, could could do the job at tackle if, if the time came, then you know I may believe it, but I don't think that's the case. I don't know, man. See, I I, I, mean, I do buy this. I do buy that we're cross train him. Yeah, that's what I, I do buy. I just don't. I don't think that's the whole story. It's all. what sure. in my fair. Opinion. I think I think you you hit the nail on the head there. I hundred percent buy that we are cross training different guys and not just Kendall Baker. Different guys trying different positions. I hundred percent believe that you got to mix and match, try to find your best your best five and where they fit best. And also you got to find out like, okay, Kendall Baker, if he is going to be my starting left guard, well, let's say that Isaiah Wilson goes down. Is Kendall Baker better as our number two right tackle? Or is it a guy like Cade Mays, a young guy? Like who who's the better guy that, at that spot in the event of an injury? Like that's why you have to mix and match, and that's why you have to cross-train guys. So I do buy that that's going on, but I do think that in this particular situation, there's a very good chance that could potentially be just an excuse right now uh, to kind of buy Kendall Baker some time. Because, look, I, Curry doesn't want to come out right now and say, here's our starting lineup. Because things change, right? I mean, yeah. things are going to change. And if he said right now that, no, Solomon Kinley is overtaking Kendall at left guard, well, that could change this week. You, it, so it's it's the musical chairs there. And you don't like want to get like pigeonholed and saying, oh, this is our starting group right now. Especially when you're a coach who, who's kind of built his culture and his program off the idea of competition, right? Like, you don't want to sit here and say, well, he, no, here's our starting five. You just don't want to do that. So I, I think that's a little bit of what's going on here. But I, I also believe that there's a very good chance that Solomon Kinley, based on what we're hearing, has, at least for the, the time being, I don't want to say cemented himself, but certainly put himself very much in the running to take that left guard position. And look, we don't know if he's getting all the reps with the ones. What we know is reported from multiple different sites, multiple different outlets, that Kendall Baker, during the media viewing session, I think it was at, at uh, Thursday's practice, was working with the number one offensive line at left guard. And the media essentially gets to see the first 10 to 15 minutes of practice, which is basically stretching and just doing some position drill work, nothing crazy. Um, but that's what they saw. And in those in those looks, in those sessions, in those, I guess they call them periods, that's what the starting offensive line was. That, that's how it was composed. So, look, and maybe it was a one-day thing. Who knows? But I, it's, I, if you look at the fact that Kendall Baker, I, you and I kind of pinpointed him as the guy on the offensive line who was probably most vulnerable, right? 
to having his job potentially taken by by somebody pushing for a job. And then you also look at the fact that Solomon Kinley, for more than half the year last year, was a starter at right guard and got overtaken late in the year by Ben Cleveland. But you know he has starting experience. And also, he's he's a starting caliber player if he gets his weight under control and just does what the coaches want. Kirby mentioned it. like, you know, Solomon, he's finally getting his weight under control. Uh, he's doing things the right way. And so if he can kind of continue on that path, I think there's a very legitimate chance that he could end up with that job. I mean, it, if you're looking at both those guys, we saw a lot of both those guys last year. You know, Solomon at right guard, Kendall at left guard. And I know the technically different positions, but essentially the same thing, just other the opposite side. Who do you feel, based on what you saw last year, which guy do you think you feel more comfortable with going into the year at left guard? Between uh, Kinley and Baker? Yeah. I would probably go with uh, Kinley, actually. Um, I just think, because I think Baker... He's a bigger is, body. He gives you more of what we want. You know, If you look at what Scott, or what Sam Pittman has wanted throughout his career, wherever he's been, he's wanted big dudes up front, especially on the interior, right? Kind of those road grading types that can just move people. And Kendall, I, I, from what I understand, Kendall's gotten a little bit bigger. He's up around 300-ish pounds right now, maybe 305 in that range. But Kinley's just bigger, right? He's just a guy yeah, that can, that can move that, people. I think, Kendall, I think Baker in general is more or less maxed out his potential where Kinley is still learning. He's still raw. His ceiling's a little higher, you think? Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. I, I, I do tend to agree with that. And look, all this might be a moot point because you're going to have Jamari Salyer come back in, or not come back in, come into the equation in the summer. And as we've talked about several times, I mean, there's a legitimate argument to be made, and we'll see what he does at the college level. But in terms of just him as a high school prospect, there's a legitimate argument to be made that he's the best interior prospect coming out of high school in the last five-plus years. So he'll definitely be in the mix there. Um, and then you, we'll see if we get Justin Schaefer back, what kind of shape he's in, and Trey Hill's going to continue to progress. But it looks like Solomon Kinley's trying to make a move here and kind of get himself back in the good graces of Sam Pittman and the rest of the coaching, the offensive coaching staff there. Uh, all right, so like that's all about all we have right now from week three of spring practice on the football side of things. We'll definitely keep our ears out for a little bit more as – uh, we get closer and closer to G-Day. Two weeks, man. A little less than two weeks now. It's going to be here before I know. I can't wait. Uh, but now let's transition just briefly for a second here to a little bit of talk about basketball. Uh, we weren't planning initially to talk any basketball today, but there was some news that hit. We've been waiting for a couple weeks now to see what Jonas Hayes is going to do. Uh, Tom Crean came out. I think it was on an interview on 6A The Fan last week. I believe it was that station. And he was asked about the assistant coach positions and Jonas Hayes in particular. And he point blank said that we had put out a lucrative offer to Jonas Hayes and we want him on the staff, but if the ball's on his court and it's up to him, we're just kind of waiting on an answer from him. Uh, and so we kind of been not, not on pins and needles, certainly not waiting that that impatiently, but we've been waiting to get kind of get word on what Jonas is going to do because, look, the guy's been a good recruiter for us. He's he's a guy who, who's got some, some deep Georgia roots, played here. Uh, also, uh, he's really deep into recruiting some of the big-time guys in the 2018-2019 class. So that kind of could just add some more continuity to the situation that Tom Crean's entering. So I think he definitely wanted Jonas, and it sounds like by the fact that he put out uh, uh, what he quoted, what he labeled as a lucrative offer, that he definitely did want Jonas on staff. But we get news that Jonas has spurned his alma mater in this particular situation. Maybe that's too strong of a word. I don't know. But for whatever reason, uh, he is going to take his talents to Ohio, and he's going to Xavier. Kurt, what do you make of that situation? Do you think Crean really wanted Jonas, or is that just lip service? Or is this, I mean, what is Jonas like? What, I don't, obviously, we don't know what's going on in his mind, but like, what do you think is going through his mind to, to leave our offer on the table, a place that 
he's coached at for a while. He's he played at. I mean, this is home for him, and he's moving out of the southeast and going to an entirely new situation with a new head coach, Ed Xavier. Well, I think the biggest thing is, um, I think, yeah, I think it was really an eye opener for him because he wanted some of these head coaching gigs for these smaller schools. Yeah, Western wanted, Carolina was the place he was looking. He didn't get that job. And, and he was, I think, he was looking at Rhode Island too, also. But I mean, he wasn't gonna get that job. No way. None of these schools were gonna give him the head job until he, you know, grew. And you he's know, never even the first assistant on a staff. Well, and, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, you. Are you can tell a lot by assistant coaches when you look at the bench with how close they are to the head coach. He was always, in my opinion, at all time I had the farthest coach away from the head coach. Well, there's a pecking order. I mean, you had the lead assistant coach, you had the second assistant coach, and the third, and Jonas was essentially the third. Yeah, I mean, and people that don't realize it, when these assistant coaches, you have people like a defensive coordinator and things like that, and he was never that for no. Mark Fox. I mean, no. as, much as, as much as people, you know, talk him up, most of his most of his um, stuff came from just on the recruiting side. Yeah, and from what I understand, he's going to be uh, he's be, he's being hired at Xavier as uh, obviously if you're a basketball coach, you're going to be recruiting, but also he's going to be working with the post guys. Um, which uh, look, and, uh, he's basically their third assistant. Like, but what do you think motivated him to make this move out of his alma mater, away from home, and move? I'm mean, not across the country, but definitely to a different region that he's not familiar That's- with. In my opinion, I think he thinks it's more of less of the name recognition. And to me, he wanted a, a job that would give him some more uh, more leeway when he's going trying to get bigger jobs. And in my opinion, this was probably the biggest school that he could actually get a job at because none of the Blue Bloods were going to hire him. Uh, most of those staffs hire in-house. Um, and even then, their, their benches, you know, they've got guys that have been there for a while. And this is one of the jobs from, you know, these schools that have, you know, won – recently where they were building a new staff completely that there was no uh uh, you know he had the chance to get in on the staff and look he's a good recruiter but like you mentioned like the lack of success our basketball program has had in general since he's been at georgia as a coach it doesn't really scream that he's like he's a hot commodity on the open market you know i mean he he does have a good solid reputation as a recruiter. recruiter our recruiting definitely improved uh, when he came on board, there's no doubt about that. But it's never like our recruiting reached like epic levels, like not even like top twenty levels, really. So while he's a good recruiter, I I think like people have kind of like built him into this like there's like a myth surrounding Jonas Hayes, like he like he's this like just totally elite recruiter. And while I think he's a good recruiter, I think we're going a little overboard calling him an elite recruiter. And like people were really upset that we're losing him. Like, look, I, would I prefer Jonas stay on? Sure, absolutely. Cause, and really for me, it's about continuity and the chance to maybe reel Ashton Hagens back in, get Elias King back in. Uh, back in the fold, like that was really wh- why I wanted him back. Uh, I, I mean, look, there's other coaches that can do a lot of what he does. There's other coaches that were, I think, Chad Dollars, a really good pickup. You know, he's a guy who also has ties to the Atlanta area. Uh, coached Georgia Tech for a while under Brian Gregory. His dad's a coach in Atlanta, Douglas High School. One, one thing I want to say is I didn't want, you know, we were talking about continuity and wanting to keep these guys. At the same time, I didn't want to be held hostage. Yeah, that that's that, in, uh, there are some people that have talked to that have kind of been upset uh, with, with Jonas. Actually, I had a guy who was ironic. He mentioned that he brought this up as soon as I saw him today, uh, and then the news came down later in the afternoon. But he said, "You know what's going on with Jonas, man? He's just I don't, I don't like how he like you, I, he didn't use the word holding us hostage. He said he's stringing us out, and I think a lot of people felt that way. You know, it's like yeah, right. because I mean, recruiting has started again. I mean, the dead. Oh yeah, all coaches are out are out on the road, man. Crean's hitting the road running. Chad yeah, Dollar's I mean, already hitting the road running. That's the thing. That it, this to me, this should have been settled. It would have been nice if it had been settled before this dead period. This last, this latest dead period ended, so we could. So Cream's not 
You can get some guys out there. And look, yeah, and some people said, well, he was under contract, so Jonas was still out there on the road recruiting force, which is true, right? He He's still been on the road recruiting force. But here's the thing. Here's why I don't buy that argument. Even though he's been on the road recruiting force, if his heart wasn't truly in it, how hard was he going for? So, right? If he had in his mind that he wasn't going to be back, how hard is he really going? And if, and if, the, if the announcement hasn't been made that Jonas is officially coming back with this new staff, those guys like Ash and Hagens, are they going to say, you know what, yeah, I'm going to jump back in the fold if they don't know for sure Jonas Hayes is coming back? They're not going to. They're not going to. He's basically, I don't say irrelevant, but it's almost like a futile effort to even have him out there on the road if you are not announcing that, yes, this guy is going to stick with our staff. Yeah, I mean, how good of a recruiter can you be if you go into someone's house and say, well, I don't know if I'm going to be here yeah, yeah. in a week. Hey, come to Georgia. Come to Georgia. It's the best place ever. Well, well coach, are you going to be there? Well, I, let's not go that far. I mean, like, yeah, exactly. Like, how productive can you be on the on the, on the the recruiting trail? Yeah, you saw it in football this past year. I mean, when there was the, when uh, there was rumors about Cher leaving, Cher hadn't officially been hired, and even Mel Tucker and Coley, when they started even interviewing with the other schools, Kirby pulled them off. Absolutely. Look, if I was Tom Crean, the, actually, I was, I've been thinking about this. The only reason I would have had, because he went out on the road when he got the job, he went on the road with Jonas. And that's when you know, I, I thought, well, hey, you know, he's out on the, they're out on the road together. Maybe, the, you know, they're trying to get a feel for each other. And then we know we hear that, that Crean extended an offer. You think it's, it's probably going to work out. Uh, but I was trying to think, okay, well, if, if, he, if, he was, if he had no intention of taking our job or he was on the fence about taking our job, you know, why would you have him out there on the road? I guess the only thing I can come up with is that if you're a guy like Tom Crean who doesn't really have a ton of contacts in this state – at the very least, Jonas can kind of be like the 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 guy that, that gives you a, a, a foot in the door, right? Like you can get into places, and, and he knows these guys. He's got contacts, and he can introduce you to them, right, and kind of help you start making some of those contacts. I think because honestly, like in terms of actually recruiting players, I think he was probably useless. I mean really because like what can you say? You know, yeah, come to Georgia, but you know, I might not be here. Like, how do you sell university if you don't want to be there or if you might not want to be there? With this coach, like, how do you sell? Hey, you want to come play with this guy, this new coach, Tom Crean? He's the future of this program. How can you sell that if you're not sure you want to work for him? But I do think he can probably give us a foot in the door to some of these schools in Atlanta, some of these AAU programs, which is really where you do a lot of your recruiting nowadays. Um, and I will say this: like, I have a, I don't have. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm like I'm an insider or anything like that. I'm I'm not. I have a few contacts from the program live in Athens, so I know a few people, uh, and I can kind of tap them for for, for some information from time to time. And I, I actually have a, a contact really, really close uh, to the basketball situation, the basketball program, like about as close as you can get. Um, and from what I've been told, this was actually what I was told today when I, when this news was coming out. Uh, actually, this was before the news came out. I was talking to him this morning about it because my, my buddy asked me a question, so I said, you know, let me hit up this source. Um, and so I was talking to him, and uh, what I've been, what I was told is that Crean has been working like a, a freaking madman. Like he's been working from sunup to sundown. He's been in the office well after midnight almost every night. Now, his family's not down here right now. They're still tying up loose ends down in Florida. So, like, you know, what else does the guy have to do? But that kind of mirrors what you've heard about this guy, right? High intensity, high motor, never stops. And from what I have been told is, you know, when he's working those late hours like that, he's grinding and putting that much into it, he's kind of also expecting his assistants to do the same thing. And there were some questions as to whether that's the kind of lifestyle Jonas wants to live. Not saying that Jonas doesn't want to work hard. Not saying that Coach Fox didn't work hard and didn't have his his coaching staff work. I'm not saying that at all. But it just seems to be at least at this point, Tom Green has come in like a madman on a mission and has raised that to a whole other level. And Jonas is it wasn't quite sure that's kind of what he wanted to sign on to. So that might have been one of the factors that caused him to at least start looking elsewhere because he just didn't know if this is the kind of coach he wanted to coach for, if this is the kind of lifestyle he wanted to lead for the next couple of years. Do you buy anything like that at all? 
Because that's oh, what I was told today. I mean, there's always that ability. I mean, or the, you know that that idea. Because I mean, you, you, you when you and I were talking about this earlier in the day, we were context, and it's very similar to the situation with Kirby Smart. And you look at people like a Tracy Rocker, where it's not I'm not saying Tracy Rocker's not a hard worker, but maybe sometimes the, the personalities and the you know it just doesn't fit. Yeah, and you gotta find like. It's just like when Kirby's hiring. Think about the guys Kirby's hired. You know, Glenn Schumann, Dan Lanning, all these guys, young, up and coming. Now, he's hired some guys that have been around the block for a while, too. But he's also highlighting some of these young guys, kind of cultivating them. Because think about a guy, guys like that who, who have girlfriends or just recently got married but don't really have big families yet, those guys are more willing to put in the time. And they're, and they're also hungry. They're trying to make a name for themselves. And so if you've got a guy like Jonas who, who's, I mean, look, I'm not. They're not at all trying to say Jones doesn't want to work up. That's not the case at all. I have no reason to do that whatsoever. But look, you know, there's a difference between working hard and then working yourself to death, which is what Tom Crean is seemingly, at least what I heard today, is kind of expecting from himself as he's getting this program, trying to get this program to the next level, and maybe also expecting from his coaching staff. So I get it if that's what Jonas is looking at. If this is a guy that number one, you don't really know all that well. Uh, you've heard some things about him in his past about you know being difficult to work with at times. And then you see him come in here, and you, once you're getting to know him, he's like a nice guy, but he's working himself to death. We're kind of like a madman, and you're just not sure that you want to jump on board in that situation. Maybe there's a better opportunity for you. And a, a, another thing I also heard is that Jonas is also getting a chance to kind of spread his wings a little bit. And because right now he thinks he's getting pigeonholed into just being like, hey, he's a, he's that Atlanta guy, right? He's got the, he's got the connection to Atlanta. And his his ultimate goal is to be a head coach, and he wants to prove himself in another region, away from his alma mater, and get away from that, and show that he's not just one of those guys that you know he, he he's kept his job at Georgia because he's a Georgia guy, and we want to keep him around because we like him and, and we appreciate what he did for the program. Uh, but he wants to kind of spread his wings a little bit and get a taste of of action somewhere else and prove that he can get the job done elsewhere. And kind of um, you know expand his tree a little bit, I guess is what I would say there. So, look, I do you have any hard feelings towards Jonas about this? Um, I really I don't. I don't. Wishes it would have been handled quicker. Yeah, I, that's if there was any criticism that I think would be reasonable here. Say, okay, you know, he was a little slow on making the decision, but a lot of that comes down to like you know we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, like. Did he have offers from Xavier and other schools already and he was weighing on it took him a long time to weigh them? Or did he just recently get an offer from Xavier because they were interviewing people? And you just don't know how that went down. So it's hard for me to judge without exactly knowing when he got the offer from Xavier, how long he was considering, you know, was he really stringing us, stringing us along for a couple of weeks here? Or did he just get the offer like a couple of days ago and he had to make a decision? Like, I just don't know. But now if he had the offer in hand, you know, a couple of weeks ago, then I totally buy that, you know, he's stringing us along kind of thing. But look, the bottom, at the end of the day, you gotta do what's best for you uh, and your family. And if he thinks going to Xavier is what's best for him and his family, then then I wish him absolutely one hundred percent. I wish him the best. I appreciate everything he did as a player. Appreciate everything he did as a coach for us. There's no doubt about it. he helped. Uh, he helped our recruiting. I, I don't know if he, I don't want to say he helped raise our programs. I don't know how much our program got raised over the last couple of years. But but the dude worked hard. He did his thing, and I, I appreciate all of that. And if he thinks this this is a good move for him and his family, then then I support him and more power to him. I, I think we'll be fine. I. And I guess the last thing here, like, it, is this something that's going to hold us back from being successful early on in the Tom Crean era? No, because in all in, in all honesty, I don't think we even if Jonas stayed, we really land Hagens because now he's getting looks yeah, for some Kentucky's offering him. I mean, come on. Yeah, when when you, when these blue bloods get calling and you see them winning and going deep in the tournament, and you have, I mean, let's be honest, it's not going to happen year one or two with Crean. Um, then it's hard to turn it down. Yeah, I think and I think the Hagens gets going in the top ten and stuff. I mean, it, 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 when blue bloods keep, keep um, come calling, it, it's really hard to turn them down. 
Yeah, like I, I, I don't want to sit here and say we have no chances. I mean, that's not true. But look, I, I really, I, I hope I'm wrong here, but I really think that ship has sailed with Ashton Higgins at this point. You know, like you said, the, the blue blood's coming into the picture now. Uh, no connection whatsoever. No Mark Fox. No Jonas Hayes. Like, you build an entirely new relationship with guys that you didn't really have a relationship with before. Now, he knew Tom Crean a little bit from some of those camps a couple summers ago that, that Crean was working at and coached him a little bit. But that's not, uh, uh, that's not much of a relationship to really go on. Like, you're not going to commit to a school just because of that. At least I don't, I can imagine. Imagine you would. So, like, I, I think it would certainly help in the short term to get Jonas Hayes, but in the long term, like, this is not a make or break kind of thing. Like, this is not going to kill Tom Green. It's not going to kill our program. We'll find another really good hire. And really, I think already getting, like I said, getting Chad Dollar on board with his Atlanta connections, that kind of neutralizes the loss of Jonas Hayes. That's, that was really Jonas's value, honestly, was the, the relationships he has with the 18 and 19 class that some of those big time guys we'd already gotten uh, commitments from that kind of backed off their pledges once we changed coaches. Um, and then all the other connections he has in the state. When you bring out like Chad Dollar with a lot of the similar connections, or a lot of the same connections that Jonas has, I think that kind of neutralizes that loss a little bit. So I'm, I'm really not too worried about it. I wish the best for him, but I think we'll be just fine without him. All right, last segment here. We're going to bring it back here. We got some good positive feedback about this last time, and, uh, th- and we call this our give and take segment. For those of you who didn't catch the show, uh, basically we were get- we've been getting some uh, some feedback on social media. Asking for us to maybe kind of, especially during the offseason, kind of look at a couple of different things outside the realm of Georgia football and just talk a, a, about some stuff going on in the world right now and just kind of kind of open the show up a little bit here. And I, I, the reason we were always hesitant to do this is because we, like, we always kind of pride our show on being like hardcore nuts and bolts football talk, which, which it will always be, or, or sports talk, Georgia sports talk. But uh, we kind of want to give the people what, they, what they're asking for and uh, open up a little bit and talk about a few things outside the world of Georgia sports. Now, some of these topics will be sports-based. Some of them maybe not as much, but we're going to try to take basically what we're looking at are things that are going on in the world right now and uh, trying to put our own little spin on it here a little bit. So this is our give and take segment here. Second time, we'll give it another shot here today. And again, we'd love to get your feedback on it. If you don't like this segment, you're like, dude, I'm going to turn it off right now. Just let us know and we'll... Uh, We'll definitely take all that into consideration. If you like it, also let us know, and we'll continue to do it. We got some good positive feedback last time, so we'll give it another whirl here on today's show. All right, Kurt. Now, uh, I don't know about you. Were you a big wrestling fan growing up at all, like like pro wrestling, WWE type stuff? Not at all. I only watched it. I know. Yeah, I yeah, I I was a huge fan for probably like I don't know, age I'll say like ten to about sixteen, about a six year period of my life there. Where uh, I was, I watched like literally every pay per view, going to a friend's house, having parties, doing that kind of stuff. It was, it was awesome. I haven't watched in a long time though. Uh, but I don't know if you caught this. Did you? Did you? Were you at least aware that WrestleMania was last night? Yeah. Sunday night. Yes. Okay. So WrestleMania took place in New Orleans on Sunday night. Didn't get to watch it, but I was kind of keeping up with it on social media. Uh, and uh, since that happened on Sunday, I want to bring this question into you. Like, do you know the difference between a heel and a face in wrestling? Do you know what those terms mean? No. Okay. A heel is the bad guy, right? All right, and the face is short for baby face, which is like the good guy. All right, so if you're looking at the SEC right now, which player in the SEC is the biggest heel right now in the conference? The biggest bad guy, bad boy, I guess. Oh, um, wow. Um, I got one off the top of my head immediately that came to mind. I'd probably say Drew Locke. That's exactly what I was thinking. That dude is a straight punk, is he not? Yeah, he's very arrogant. For a oh my god. <laughs> Every time the dude scores a touchdown, where he's pulling pistols out of his pants or whatever the freaking crap he's doing, he's got every like even if his team's down by like three touchdowns, he throws one touchdown, do the dude celebrating, he just won the Super Bowl. Like, like every time, it's crazy. 
It doesn't matter what the score is. And, and to me, that screams like what I call a me-me player. It's all about him. Because when you're down multiple touchdowns and you throw a one-touchdown pass and it's like late in the fourth quarter and, oh, great, you threw a, a, a 75-yard touchdown pass and you're celebrating you won the Super Bowl like, you, like you're somebody. Like, dude, no. no. Like, you got to be about winning. So that's exactly the guy that came to mind for me. Um, any, like, I don't know. I was trying to think of anybody else. Anybody in the outside, like anybody in our major rivals that you would throw in there? Like, I think Jake Bentley is, is like Drew, like a Drew Lock light. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he's got that arrogance to him and likes to talk trash, but he doesn't quite take it to that level uh, like that Drew Lock does. So I think those two are the first two that came to mind for me. Um, now, in the past, you would have gone Tim Tebow and guys like that. There's no Johnny Menzel to be hating on, but I think for me, yeah, the biggest deal would definitely be Drew Lock with Jake Bentley being my my personal runner up there. Uh, all right, next question: the NBA playoffs. Now, I know you're not into wrestling. You watch the NBA at all? Occasionally. Now, the playoffs. Look, I'm not. I don't really watch that much NBA during the regular season because it's just like regular season baseball. There's just so many games, and each game just doesn't. There's no stakes there. But the NBA playoffs are legit. I, I love the NBA playoffs. I call it the, the, the second season because I mean, literally, it's like two three months long. But they are set to begin this weekend, or I think it's Saturday when they're set to kick off. So, if you're looking at both conferences, who do you pick to be the teams in the finals, and ultimately, who do you pick to be the team that wins the whole thing in the NBA playoffs? Um, easily, the East is going to be the Cavs, especially with Kyrie. Really? Now. The Cavs? Again? Well, because, well, it's because no Kyrie. I think if Kyrie had come back to the Celtics, they could have given them a run for their money. Yeah, um, okay. I just don't see it without him. The, the Cavs might be the four seed. Yeah, but they'll turn it on. I mean... It's just it's, they, they have the one thing that nobody has. They have the best player in the world, right? Exactly. I mean, I like I love KD. He's a great player. I I still say, and I, I don't. I'm not a, a LeBron guy. I don't really like LeBron. I really don't. I think he's a crybaby. But is he not still the best player in the world? Yeah, he is. I mean, he's having like statistically one of the best seasons of his career, and at, at, at not an advanced age, but he's getting up there in years. He's like 32, 33 years old. But you know, I I will say this: like the Cavs. They kind of suck outside of LeBron. Like, that's just, like, Kevin Love's okay. They have no guard play whatsoever. I mean, they made all those trades at the deadline, which I think have improved the team a little bit. But they're a mess, really, outside LeBron James. It just happens to be they have the best player in the world. And when you have him on your team and the rest of the East, the East has gotten better. But you're right, the the Celtics, not with the Celtics, it's not just Kyrie. You got Marcus Smart that's also hurt. Obviously, Gordon Hayward's missed the entire season. Uh, that team's just a shell of themselves. Uh, I don't even I don't know how far they're going. I mean, they might get out of the first round. Uh, they'll probably get out of the first round. Uh, we'll see. And uh, but the Raptors, the Raptors have been the best team in the East most of the year. You don't give them a shot. Demar Derozan, the guys up north. Uh, I think they may push them, but I just see ultimately being the Cavs. They're just I think they're a better all around team. I really do. But those guys just haven't been in the situation LeBron's been in. like. They just they haven't been there, man. And again, like I just like LeBron is playing as well as he's ever played in his career right now. I just have a hard time believing the, that. That the Raptors, although they're a really good team, they have a great bench. I mean, guys like Fred Van Vliet, I mean, that, that bench they have, they're legit. But I just, I don't know if it's enough to overcome LeBron. So I'm going to go with LeBron. Now, the West is a lot more interesting to me. Do you, is this the Warriors and Cavs again? To me, it's down to two teams, either the Warriors or the Rockets. Depends on how healthy Curry is when he comes back. Yeah, I mean, definitely 100% there. I agree with you, those two. Um, the Rockets are going to have home court throughout the playoffs. Uh, they got the best record in the league. Does uh, I don't know if you had to pick who are you going with Rockets or or, or, or Warriors? I'm gonna go with the Warriors so someone beats them. Look, and that's that's the same thing. I, I that's where I am too. Look, I mean they've been there, they've done that, 
And during the regular season, you're a team that's, you know, you've won two out of the last three titles. you played in three straight finals. Like, there's a little – I imagine it's got to be a little more difficult. You're not – to get up, you're not as hungry, you know, because you've been there. It's not it's not new to you, whereas the Rockets, those guys are still hungry. Guys like James Harden, especially a guy like Chris Paul who's getting up there in years and still not really made a deep playoff run. Uh, those guys are hungry. So, I mean, that makes sense they had a better regular season. Although they had – you know, Paul was hurt quite a bit throughout the regular season as well, especially early on. But here's what it comes down to for me. Even though they do have home court, James Harden, do you remember the Spurs series last year and how he he just completely choked at the end of that series? Like had a a horrific one. I mean, one of the worst player performances I've seen from a star player in a long time in a big moment like that. Just absolutely fell flat. This guy has done nothing in his career in the playoffs. Doesn't mean he can't do it. He hasn't. He just hasn't done it yet. And Chris Paul is the same thing. I mean, both these guys. I think if this series goes goes long, maybe it goes to six or seven games, my money is going to be on the Warriors. Those guys have been there. This is It's not in their head. If it goes, if, if they're playing the Warriors and it goes to game six, game seven, you got to believe it's going to be in the head of Chris Paul and James Harden because those guys, that's who the pressure is going to be on. They're the guys who are trying to build this for, leg- for their legacy. They haven't been there. Curry, he's won his MVP. He's won his titles. KD, the pressure's off him. Same thing. So if it comes down to a situation like that, I think I'm going to go with the Warriors. I just think the Warriors are an all-around better team anyway. I mean, James Harden's probably going to be the MVP. There's no doubt, but I, I'm just going to go with the words. They've been there, they've done that thing. They're a more talented team overall, and if they're if they're dialed in and healthy, I have a tough time thinking the Rockets are going to beat them in a seven game series. But I mean, I wouldn't be altogether shocked. But I'm going to go with the Warriors. And is it Warriors over the Cavs in the finals again? Uh, if they play, I think whoever wins the West wins. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I 100 agree. I mean, this the Cavs team last year is better than the Cavs team this year. So if they couldn't do it, I mean, and they were completely overmatched against the Warriors last year. So I don't see any reason to expect anything different this year. So I'm with you, man. I'm going Warriors. And uh, I say I'll go Warriors in, I don't know, man, five. <laughs> I'm going to say Warriors in five if, if, if it is the Cavs. Uh, all right, last one here. Uh, my wife and I just, we finally got around to watching uh, the Ricky Gervais Netflix special this weekend, the stand-up special. Uh, and, dude, it was, have you, had, did you ever had a chance to watch that? Uh, no, dude, you gotta get on it, man. Humanity, it's awesome. It's hilarious. It was, it was awesome. One of the best specials I've seen in a while. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, and so Ricky Gervais, man, like he is totally up there. From we want to go see, uh, go see him live. We didn't get a chance to make that happen last summer, but uh, hopefully, uh, I think his next one's gonna be called Supernature. He's putting together right now. Hopefully, we have a chance to go see that. He, it was awesome. It's hilarious, man. Very, very impressive stuff. But in your opinion, who is the best stand-up comic going right now? Well, I'm gonna be uh, crazy and just say that I actually hate stand-up comedy. What? No way, dude! For real? I've yeah, I've never never gotten into it. But if I had to go with anyone, someone I find pretty funny is uh, T.J. Miller. T.J. Miller's hilarious. All right, I actually got a chance to see him in Athens. Uh, yeah, I've been to that one. The one of the forty-one? Yeah, I, I should have gone. No. Oh, you, I thought you said you did go. I said, like, how did I not see no. you? Yeah, dude, it was it was awesome. It was what two years ago? It was, it was kind of like right before he blew up. Uh, with Silicon Valley, and now that I mean, he's not coming back to Athens to do the forty white ever again. I just don't see that happening. He's gotten too big for that. But we got him like right before he blew up, and he was hilarious. Now, there's no doubt he was really good. I saw Hannibal Buress, uh, Buress, however you say his last name, at the forty watt. Also, he was really, really funny. He was really good. Uh, we saw Jerry Seinfeld a couple times at Classic Center. He was really good, but then definitely like a, a different generation style of humor, different. Uh, I feel more clean compared to what yeah, I'm way more clean, but still really, really funny. Really, really funny. Uh, Wanda Sykes, uh, she was really funny. We saw her as well. Uh, Daniel Tosh was a guy, like, his show on Comedy Central was never my favorite. I never really got into it all that much. It kind of annoyed me on Comedy Central, but 
going to a stand up when he came to Athens to the Classic Center, it was like it was hilarious, man. Like really good stuff. I mean, he actually knows college football. He actually made some college football jokes about Nick Saban and. He does this whole bit with Lane Kiffin. It was, it was hilarious because he kind of looks like Lane Kiffin. Uh, he was really good. Um, you know, Louis C.K., before the whole sexual assault thing came out, I don't know if he'll ever do a stand-up show again after that. He's kind of disappeared. Uh, Dave Chappelle is really good. Remember the Chappelle show back in the day, or is that before your time? Uh, I've seen the reruns. Dude, I grew up on the Chappelle show, man. I'm Rick James. Rick James, man. The one where he was Prince playing, playing uh, pickup hoops. That might be the funniest sketch comedy or uh, the funniest sketch I've ever seen of any sketch comedy show. Like that is – that was epic. And I, so I love Dave Chappelle. But right now, I mean, maybe it's just like recency bias, but I, I might go with Ricky Gervais, man. I was like just blown away at how good he was as a stand-up comedian. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. So if you haven't checked that out, get on Netflix, man. Humanity, Ricky Gervais, really good stuff. Really, now he's definitely – He's, he's British, right? So if you don't know that, like, he's the guy, the original Office. Like, he was the creator. He was Michael Scott before Michael Scott, although like, his name was, like, David Brent instead of Michael Scott. But really good stuff. If you haven't checked it out, I definitely recommend that highly. All right, guys. That does it for us here today on the Glory UJ Podcast. We definitely appreciate you guys sticking out with us today. Uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>